Coming up next on Chapters, we're going to focus on a disability which impacts up to 1 in 45 Americans, yet remains very misunderstood. That disability is autism. My guest in studio today is Michael McKenna, who will share with us his family's journey with autism and information on a very important resource located right here in New England, transforming the lives of those impacted. All that and more coming up next on Chapters. Michael, welcome, and uh, thank, thanks so much for being here. Mike McKenna, uh, I actually got to know Mike years ago. Uh, he's been in the benefits business uh, as an entrepreneur for years. He currently owns Comprehensive Benefit Administrators, uh, a leader in New England in the benefits industry. I found Mike over the years to be a, a tremendously passionate and compassionate person, as well as a hardworking individual. And um, I've, I've, I've noticed, Mike, your passion for autism, but never really got to ask you the backstory. And that's really right. what today is, is about. So um, we're glad to have you here. Uh, Mike, can you tell us a little bit about your son, Michael, who is on the autism spectrum? And uh, happily, we're here to, to celebrate his birthday today. That's right. He's 16 today. So 16. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so... Right. My, bro- my son, Michael, uh, is 16 today, and uh, he is on the autism spectrum. Uh, what people may think of autism uh, probably isn't entirely correct. It's a spectrum disorder. So uh, you can have people that are very uh, severe uh, on the severe end of the spectrum, uh, and you may also have uh, people on the spectrum that are very high functioning. Michael is on the severe end, and uh, what I can tell you a little bit about him, aside from the diagnosis, he's just an awesome kid. He's happy. He lights up a room. He smiles, and it, and the smile is infectious. Uh, he's So he's just a terrific kid. Um, but with any, any, any situation that autism, um, you know, pokes its head, for example, it's it's been a hard road for not just Michael, but uh, my wife and my kids. And um, so at 16, he's doing better. Mm-hmm. However, it has been something that, um, you know, uh, we'd like more answers on. We'd like uh, to, uh, you know, stay current with the science. We, you know, the reality is it has enormous strains on uh, anybody that is caring for an autistic child. Mm. You know, Mike, that and that's something I'd love to talk with you more in depth. Um, I know that you have a, a beautiful wife at home. You have one daughter that I'm aware of that's, a, 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 I believe, a very good soccer player. Yeah, I'm we not, think so. Not mistaken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, and, and do you have other children? Yep, uh, my son, Matthew. So I have three. Mm-hmm. Michael's in the middle. Mm-hmm. So my oldest is Emily. She is 18, and she is a senior in high school. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Uh, Michael is now 16 today yep. and uh, is a student at the New England Center for Children. Right. And Matthew is in eighth grade and he uh, is 13. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're they're lucky kids um, uh, in many, many ways. You're a lucky dad. I'm a lucky dad. Yeah. I, I've got uh, I, I've got a good life. We've both lived long enough to be able to have children that that we're 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 very proud of. No question. Um, but you know the this, the whole subject of autism. We were talking a little bit off the air about it, and I find that um, 
Mike stunned me, absolutely stunned me with the figure that one in 45 people are impacted by this disability. That's right. And um, I just don't hear a lot about it. And you were talking about some of the stereotypes that we see on the television and the media, and you brought up Rain Man as an example. Right. I can't tell you, Jim, how many times I've had well-intentioned people come up to me and ask me, how is Michael? Oh, is he a prodigy of some sort? Is he a piano player? Is he good at math? And, uh, you know, that does happen, I guess, uh, under, under autism. Uh, but the, uh, the reality is it's, uh, it probably affects less than one-tenth of one percent. What's more kind of rank-and-file autism is what Michael is uh, and how Michael um, uh, lives his life. So very low-functioning, uh, but... Uh, but um, it's a struggle. Yeah. It's a struggle. So there's there's a lot of stereotypes about that, and uh, and the other thing is there's a lot of ignorance when it comes to autism, and not ignorant that people are stupid. That's not what I'm saying. It's just a, such a complex disorder, and there are very few answers. Right, right. And, and you know, um, it is very complex, it, even to me, the uneducated. Um, and I, I think fear dri- drives a lot of people. And, yes. And, and I think it, it drives everybody, myself included. When you don't understand something, you tend to be fearful. So I know that um, I've had neighbors, I have friends with autistic kids, and, and I'm afraid to ask them about their child. And, and that's got to be an isolating feeling for parents. The autism community tends to be a very close-knit community because it's like anything. If you have something going on in your life. And sometimes, unless you live it and experience it, it's very hard to have uh, or to make somebody else understand. Uh, and, you know, it's not their fault. My mother used to say, you know, people only know what they know. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that was as simple of a phrase as that is. It's true. I think that's 100% right. We're going to talk a lot about uh, New England Center for Children. Michael's very, very big supporter of theirs, has a golf tournament every year. I believe it's the last week of August. This year it was August 27th, if I'm not mistaken, in Kingston. In Kingston. And uh, they have raised uh, in excess of half a million dollars, uh, and it is called The Mike. And it is obviously named for Michael, That's my boy. whose birthday we're celebrating today. So, Mike, uh, if before we get started on the on on that center and all the wonderful wonderful work that's being done up there, I'd like to ask you about the personal experience that you and your wife and your family uh, have had uh, with your son Michael. And uh, you shared with me that um, that the diagnosis took a little bit of time. Yeah, uh, to come around and and how does that typically express itself for someone in in Michael's shoes? Yeah, I'll, get, I'll let me answer that by sure. maybe taking taking it back to the beginning. Yes, uh, my son Michael was uh, born with something called Hirschsprung's disease, uh, so basically his lower intestine never fully developed. Mm. By the way, GI issues, gut issues are very common uh, among uh, autistic kids, and he had major surgery at three days old. Michael was always delayed. He always, uh, you know, he, he would walk late, he would uh, talk late, but he was beginning to uh, make, make, uh, make progress. So he started to talk, and right about 18 months, he um, lost all the skills. You know, it's an autistic regression that happens in many of these kids with so, autism. Oh, 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 so it's a regression. It's, it's a regression. I did not know that. 
And it doesn't happen to all the kids, but it, it happened with my son. Now, my son was always delayed. We always knew something was wrong. So how it manifests itself, uh, it, how it manifests itself in, in our daily lives, that he would just walk around aimlessly, wouldn't dig deep, uh, would stim. You see a lot of these kids with autism that flap or they rock or things like that. And he was showing signs of that. And... Uh, and that was our life for a bit. Uh, early intervention got involved, things like that. Um, but when we would take him to the pediatrician, the pediatrician said, oh, there's nothing wrong with him. Um, and uh, and that was really our first experience of how autism research and treatment is still in its infancy, but was certainly in its infancy then. Mm. My wife knew something was wrong. My wife is a, a teacher. Mother's uh, intuition. Oh, mother's intuition. She's a public school teacher in Hanover, and um, she gets a lot of the special needs kids in her classroom. Yeah. So she she knew something was wrong. Uh, what happened was uh, she, he was making a little bit of progress. He could say, Mom, Dad, up, I did it. And then right about 18 months... He lost it all. He went through a regression, lost all his speech. He would be able to follow a story. If I said, Michael, point to the truck in the book that I was uh, from the story I was reading him, he could do that. All gone. All his speech, all his ability to, um, to follow stories, all his ability to socialize on really any level was gone. Yeah. And... We got the diagnosis. I remember bringing him into Children's Hospital and getting the diagnosis. And you know, that day, it opened up a whole different world to us. Mm. You know, yeah. you know, this is your life. Yeah. And uh, the reality is, it was time to become a school, a student of, excuse me, a student of autism. Yeah. Uh, but that was a devastating diagnosis. I, I, um, I can only imagine because I haven't faced it directly, and. Um, I know that we were talking beforehand. You said that it was, uh, without a doubt, the most emotional day of your life. Um, and I can only imagine. For autism, there is no treatment. Um, there is no cure in order to reverse uh, the actual uh, disorder. However, um, through wonderful places like the New England uh, Center for Children, um, you, we have the opportunity to educate. And as Michael expressed to me before, uh, depending wherever your child happens to be on the autistic spectrum to help them maximize their fullest potential. And this has been a real joy for you, hasn't it? Seeing him flourish in this program. Uh, Jim, I remember when my wife took a tour of New England Center for Children, we were on a mission to find something that could help him. How old was Michael when you first uh, introduced him to this New England Center? Well, we had a meeting with uh, our, our school uh, school system, and they came to us, and he was four at the time, uh, and they were very honest with us, and this is another issue with uh, kids with autism. The school systems are going broke dealing with kids like my son, and I get that, um, and they keep them in the system, in in their system, and when oftentimes they're not equipped and they don't have the expertise. But but we ha we have a responsibility to our citizenry to educate and provide services for all of our citizens. And that's why a, a place like the New England Center for Children is so important because they are the ambassadors of science-based, education-based treatment. 
So um, the school system came to us, and we were getting early intervention. We were getting um, direct intervention at home, uh, on-site assessments, Mm -hmm. things like that. And they came to us, and we had never thought of an outplacement setting for Michael. We just figured the school system would take over. And we were very fortunate, Jim. The educational consultant for the town of Norwell, where I live, happened to be trained in autism by the May Center. And the May Institute? The May Institute. Oh, yeah, yeah. sure. And she she's a friend to this day. Yeah. Uh, but she was very honest, and she said, he's way out of our league. He's the lowest kid in the district. We can't help him. Look, we will write the check for it out, out of district placement. That never happens. Really? That never happens. And so we were fortunate in that respect, mm-hmm. but now we had to come to grips with the only thing that was going to... F- Um, really help someone like Michael because he was so severe was a residential setting. So um, before, just before age five, he went residential at the new England center for children. So he gets 24 seven, what they call applied behavioral analysis based therapy and treatment. And it is constant and they work him hard. You know, so I'm just, I want to kind of head back towards the personal side um, because I think the impact, um, you know, I knew you 16 years ago and I'm thinking about this and I knew you professionally. I didn't know you personally. I'm really happy that I knew you personally now. Um, But, uh, you know, I can only imagine the impact of of having a four-year-old go off to residential treatment. It's hard to imagine how difficult it is with trying to raise the child, too, and trying to... I'll give you an example. Yeah. You know, you had asked me a little bit about what was the reality like. I forget exactly how you said it, but my wife and I didn't have a night's sleep in five years. I remember I remember uh, saying to my wife, when is this kid going to sleep through the night? Because he would just cry and cry and cry, and he oh was over goodness. a year old. And, and then he would not sleep. He would sleep maybe one or two hours a night. And he would cry constantly. We used to say, Michael Ryan always crying. And it was it was amusing at the time, but when we think about it, it was just probably to keep our sanity. Coping to, mechanism, sure. Coping mechanism, of no question. Um, and, and really disturbing behavior, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know uh, getting into his diaper and things like that. I mean, it was, I wouldn't wish, wish it on my worst enemy. I understand. And uh, my wife and I almost didn't make it. We We, we almost collapsed. It was... Five, I remember his first day at school at the New England Center, and we dropped him off, and my wife and I went to the Natick Mall afterwards, and we sat down on the benches, and we just began to cry. Wow. And we didn't know what to do next because we hadn't talked to each other for five years. We didn't have a cup of coffee together in five years. We didn't know. I didn't even know my daughter. I have an older daughter. I didn't even know who she was because it was constant. I mean, Mike brought up a statistic to me that there's an 80% divorce rate uh, historically with parents of autistic children. Um, and I think you can hear why. Yeah. Um, what a, what, a, what a, a difficult, difficult thing. So not only were you dealing with something, first of all, you weren't equipped to provide the treatment that he needed. You That's weren't right. equipped to teach him. So to keep him at home is is like trying to cure a diabetic of diabetes when you're not a doctor. I mean, you're not you're not equipped number 1, right? That's right. And and there isn't a day that goes by that we don't feel 
you know, as a parent, you know, you feel guilty and you feel in, in and my wife and I cry all the time. Sure. We still do because yeah. he's not with us all the time. Yeah. But, it, you know, I take emotion out of it. And intellectually, I can right. I can look at that and say, there's no way I could provide those resources. They're world class. The school system can't do that. We can't do that. And I would be doing him a disservice if I didn't have uh, if, if I didn't have this uh a resource available to right me. and the fact of the matter is when your wife and you are heads of households which you are yes. you have a responsibility to the rest of your family you have responsibility to michael's siblings yes. you have a responsibility to your household to your business to your wife um so it's a broad-reaching uh impact um and so i, I but i but having said all of that um, that's an intellectual process the gut emotion i thank you for sharing that because i think that's what a lot of people don't understand i know i certainly hadn't taken that into account uh, when talking about autism. And I think it's really important that we know that. Um, it reminds me of that. There's a wonderful commercial. It's a it's an empathy commercial on, and I, it's a financial institution. I've forgotten which one, but there's people walking along a crowded city street, and you see somebody with a furrowed brow bump into somebody, and they freeze the frame, and above the head it says something like "just diagnosed with breast cancer" or something. And the idea is that everybody's dealing everybody's with dealing a cross. With Everybody yes. has a cross, and I don't believe in relative pain. I don't believe when someone stops and says, well, it's not as bad as you have it, so I don't want to tell you. That's not kind of where I go because whatever somebody's experiencing, if it's painful to them, then it's worth sharing and worth talking about. Uh, I thank you for that personal in, in uh, insight. I think it's very, very instructive. Um, the other thing that we talked about was, um, I call it stigma, but, but it's, a, it, it's, it's that whole notion of, did we do something wrong? Oh. And, and you, you said that was a big impact on you. You know what? I, we, we have been struggling this. What could we have done? Did we take our pre, did she, my wife take her prenatal vitamins? She was feeling guilty. Did I eat the right type of fish? You know, <laughs> right. could it have been lead in the fish? Right. Uh, and we've gone on and on. I even said, you know, I even said, well, <laughs> You know, maybe you know, maybe it's my fault. Maybe gene- my genetics are are bad, and and you you blame yourself constantly. Yes, and it's easy to do that for parents with autism because there really are no answers. There are no a- uh, answers relative to the source of autism. Um, the environment is it the environment? Is it genetics? Is it a combination? There just isn't any. Um, firm answers, and you get parents that are very, very desperate, but they're also very, very depressed. They're very hard on themselves because they're taking uh, the responsibility for it, and like they've done something wrong, and 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 that's not the case. Of course, it's not. not the case. Of course not. And then there was the junk science of immunizations and its impact on autism, and you have have pointed me to the direction that that's complete junk science. Well, uh, the whole uh, impetus uh, for that being a cause was based on. A British study where the uh, MD, the the uh, the researcher, actually admitted that he lied, and uh, the uh, but I but you'll find Jim in the autism community, we don't judge each other generally. Mm. We don't because there aren't many answers, and I have very good friends in the autism community that are absolutely uh, convinced. They were the immunizations or the thimerosal that was being used mm-hmm. as a preservative in the immunizations. They're convinced of that, and I can't, I can't um, judge them for that. Sure, but I can tell you, you know, we have been 
taken advantage of, and I think a lot of parents with autism are, uh, because there aren't any treatments, and I'll kind of tie this into why the New England Center was such a godsend, but there's a lot of snake oil salesmen out there, and um, we were taking advantage. You know, there's special diets and uh, chelation and and all of these things that are out there that say, okay, this is going to work. I remember driving with my brother, Dan, driving, driving my son to New Jersey to see this 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 uh, super doctor that was supposed to be helping these right. kids as severe as Michael, and all he um, he actually I didn't see him for more than two minutes, and all the guy wanted to do was make sure that he charged enough on my credit card to cover what the credit card company would take the sweep off the top. It was it was devastating, and he had no answers. Um, and but I can tell you. I have uh, dozens of stories like that, Jim, and I have a lot of friends that uh, uh, can do uh, can do the same thing. A yeah. lot of these doctors don't take insurance, all the, the money on the special diets and things like that. Uh, so we were craving science. We were cra- nothing happened. All he, uh, he just he just got worse, um, and then finally, uh, through the help of the Norwell school systems, I got to tell you, we ended up at the New England Center for Children and. Uh, they kind of cut through all the junk science and said, you know what, we know what we're doing. And it was, fi- if I could say this, Jim. Please do. It was it was finally somebody that said, they're wrong, we're right, we understand your child. Your child will make progress, but you're going down the wrong. You have to do science-based, education-based treatment and strategies that are proven out, and we can help him. That's the first time anybody ever called my son smart. When they did the assessment, and when I did this, I did a presentation for the parents at NEC once. They asked me to speak at the New England Center, and I just cried when I read. I I saved the email from the teacher who did the assessment on Michael, and he said he's such a smart boy. It was the first time uh, somebody actually said, "This kid's smart. This kid has something going for him." And, you know, he won't be defined by a diagnosis. We're going to work with this guy. He's going to do great. Man, what a, what a powerful, powerful testimony that is. And so basically you were getting out of the snake oil salesman sort of trying to chase all of those cures. And who doesn't understand how a parent would do that? But you were being victimized. And uh, and now let's talk about NECC because uh-huh. th- this is uh, this is something. When I asked Mike to come on and I said that we were going to talk about NECC, his, his eyes lit up. When I told him he had to drive an hour to do that, trust me, he's a very, very busy guy. He didn't hesitate. So I really want to give NECC uh, time here. This is a 40-year-old institution. It's a nonprofit. They're located in Southboro, Massachusetts. Um, they, they have both a residential treatment Center, which Michael is uh, is is taking advantage of, as well as um, uh, providing their number one uh, mission is to pr- educate teachers and parents alike in the community about autism and and uh, best practices for teaching sure. uh, based on the various uh, spectrum of disorders. But uh, really, Mike, I'd like I'd like you to talk about NECC and why it's such a worthy and and an, an important worthy cause and important part of our community. I think it starts with the top, the leadership there. Yep. The founder and, and CEO of the organization is, is a man named Vin Strully. Okay. Now, Vin Strully is the real deal. For lack of a better term, he's the real deal. He is decisive. He is strong. He is motivated. And he's inspired. And what he 
absolutely does not compromise on is evidence-based criteria, science-based, evidence-based criteria for the treatment and the education uh, uh, for those afflicted with autism. Is Vin, is Vin one of the founders? He is. He is. Yeah, he is. And um, he's, he's, he's an interesting guy, and, but he does not waver does not waver in his pursuit of excellence in that organization. So uh, I'll give you I'll I'll give you a story. Please. So um, the, when the town of Norwell said we can't help your son, he's way out of our league, et cetera. Here are some schools to look at, and we looked my between myself and my wife, we were looking at all these different programs, and I remember getting a voicemail from my wife saying, "I've seen the rest. Now I've seen the best. You have to take a tour of the New England Center for Children." And it just turns out turned out that when we got there, that's all they did. They understood Michael. They weren't they weren't intimidated by him. The school system was intimidated. Um, they uh, didn't know how to approach him. They knew exactly how to approach him. The school system, and it's not their fault. Um, didn't didn't were kind of making things up as they went along to see what worked. There is a certain element of that because kids with autism, you got to be flexible in your approach. Uh, but uh, it was the first time we were introduced to uh, something called Applied Behavioral Analysis, ABA. And over time, we've, we came to learn that this is the only science-based, evidence-based treatment and, and educational platform that helps these kids. How long has ABA been around? Oh, I think, I think it's been around since the early 70s. Okay, early 70s. So that... Um, I could be wrong, but yeah, I Puts think... it right around the founding of NECC. So they, they're not new to this. No, no they're, this is a, they're pioneers. This is their core platform? This is their core, core platform, and it, it's interesting. You'll, in, within the autism community, um, the term ABA, Applied Behavioral Analysis, can be a fleeting term. What people, what some therapists or school systems call ABA, um, somebody like the May Institute or the New England Center would say, that's not ABA at all. Um, it's very disciplined. It's very data-oriented, but it's all in the uh, pursuit to get, move these kids forward. So one of the things, the most difficult things with ABA, and, and kids with autism, I should say, kids with autism um, tend to lose the skills that they've learned. Mm -hmm. What applied behavioral analysis does, it stays on top of them to make sure that they do not lose the skills because eventually they do regress back and they're back in there moving them forward. Okay, that's really interesting to me. So that that whole notion of regression, which is what you were talking about at, at diagnosis, that, that is part of the autism, uh, autistic uh, condition is to regress. And what you're saying is ABA, uh, the, the, the techniques applied uh, prevents that regression. Yeah, or minimizes minimizes that regression. Fascinating. I mean, yeah, it, you know, because no kid with autism, it, you, there's no roadmap for right. each kid. Right. They're so different. Uh, but but what is common? So what is common among all kids with autism? Social deficits. Yep. Um, uh, generally, a lot of speech can be hindered mm -hmm. or choppy. My son is nonverbal, mm -hmm. um, so he's 16. He doesn't he doesn't speak. Uh, used to, but uh, but lost it. Uh, what else is common? Uh, the loss of 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 um, skills that they've mastered, mm -hmm. uh, and that constantly needs to be reinforced, or they do in fact lose it. Okay, so I, I just for our listeners, I want to remind you that we are speaking with Michael McKenna. Michael is a an enormous champion of the New England Center 
for children in Southboro, Massachusetts. Michael has raised in excess of half a million dollars for them. His son, Michael, whose birthday is today. Happy 16th birthday, Michael. Uh, Michael is a resident at the New England Center for Children. Um, so, Mike, just picking back up on that, um, uh, this organization, having been around since the early 70s, has seen, I assume, some changes because there must have been some some evolution or there must be ongoing evolution in in the treatment and education uh for all the spectrums of autism disorder is that true yeah they they have become really the primary ambassador for autism education and treatment not just locally but internationally uh so they have a uh, uh they have an autism uh center in abu dhabi now no kidding yep new they, england center of on for children holy yes, smoke yes sir and they also um have pioneered software called uh, ACE, um, A-C-E, and that is a database uh, that tracks uh, kids with autism and and all the data tracking, uh, how they need to intervene. Um, For example, I'm I'm not doing it justice, I know that, but it's proprietary to them, Mm -hmm. and uh, they are using this system all around the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, New York City is using uh, uh, ACE uh, to help their kids with autism, that population. So they really are pioneers. So I thought it was a misprint when I went on the website. I want to say it said something like hundreds of thousands of kids have been impacted by New England Center of Children. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I thought it was a, a typo. What, what what they are very good at doing, This is, and this starts with Venstrelli. Um, he has not compromised on excellence, and he, it, it, he's he got the whole thing figured out, uh, for lack of a better term. He's got to figure it out. The, the, the teachers, the committed teachers that come to work there, mm. they're oftentimes they're very, very young, and they, they come in, they're trained, not everybody can work with that population, so they have, um, you know, safeguards and mechanisms there to kind of figure out uh, who is the best fit to become a teacher mm-hmm. uh, and and work with these this population. Mm-hmm. The other thing is they're enormously generous to the teachers, mm-hmm. uh, so they pay for their master's degree. Oh, they have great. a PhD program, is teaching program as well, um, on site there. Yeah, the, I think Can people do their like their residency or or the the equivalent or internships. Yeah, they do the internships yeah. there. Um, uh, but they they have a uh, they actually have um, formal relationships with uh, a couple of colleges, and they get they pay for their master's degree. There's also a PhD uh, offered to them. I, I believe in ABA therapy, yeah. and these kids end up going into the public school systems. Yeah. They go into the other facilities, and that's intentional. And they are the ambassadors of world-class treatment for these kids. You just took the words out of my mouth, the ambassadors. So uh, NECC is not only impacting the residents and the people that access its outpatient treatment programs and the families, but it's also impacting your local community. And I want to kind of get back to that issue of, gee, you know, you mentioned a quarter million dollars for uh, your particular community to pay for Michael's care. And, and of course, you know, we're talking about, you know, our, our society has a, has a responsibility to, to give public education to all of its citizenry, um, regardless of their ability or disability or what spectrum they're on. However, um, a cynic out there might say, well, gee, that's an awful lot of money. They're draining the system, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I would make the argument, having listened to you and now becoming educated, that what we're really doing is we're supporting an organization like NECC, and NECC is then putting assets back into our community where we can better educate and maybe someday, maybe someday, be able to, within our public institutions, educate people 
uh, like Michael, right within our public schools at home. Would that be an accurate summary, or am I off base? No, I think I think that there's a there's a, a lot of truth to that. The New England Center for Children, I think one of their goals is to be able to provide the necessary resources so the community in general is better. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know how to handle. You know, will there become a day that um, a town like my town uh, that clearly saw my son was out of their league can say, we got this. We understand this kid. And the other thing is, and and listen, Jim, I get it. Um, Autism is crippling budgets. It just is. One out of 45 kids now. And uh, it ain't cheap. And there's no cure. So I, I understand there's always that fiscal pressure. Sure. The counter to that, though, is schools like the New England Center for Children or any home-based program or, yes. uh, or, or public school, because they, New England Center works with a lot of public schools. Um, they, uh, they get into the classrooms. A lot of the kids end up working there, into the, and the teachers work there. Um, and what happens is because they're able to move that child along into adulthood it costs the system a lot less because exactly. they're maximizing their individual potential. If they be, can, can be, some of them become independent, some of them can live in group homes. But whatever happens, they're better off than if they were just left to their own device. Right. And so, even a fiscal conservative, even a conservative, God forbid, could uh, fiscal conservative. Uh, you're making that argument for me, and, that, and that's exactly what I was thinking. And I can think of many other instances in our society where an investment made up front in those of us that need supportive services yield dividends on the back end, and you can show you can show the communities the return on that investment. And I think NECC, I think you could clearly show that. Um, Mike, I, I, one of the things before we march too far forward with NECC, I just wanted to get some facts on the table. Um, NECC house ha, services, how many people at the Southborough campus would you guess on an outpatient basis, if you had to guess? I want to say they between um, the day school and... Uh, residential kids that come to the school during yeah. the day, they're probably servicing uh, five or six hundred children. Five or six hundred. Boy, that's a lot. And then in terms of communities that they're servicing, it's all throughout New England and beyond. Yeah. You mentioned Dubai. That's right. So Abu Dhabi. Yep. Mm-hmm. Abu, and, I'm sorry. Abu Dhabi. Yep. The, and the, yeah. Right. Right. And their technology is affecting, uh, you know, school systems like New York City's system. So they, um, they're they hugely influential. They've won, um, you know, awards uh, regarding the uh, their ABA practices. Uh, they're just an excellent, excellent program. You know, um, and so how is NECC funded? Oh, it's, uh, it's funded by a combination of municipal uh, payments, like my son, obviously this, uh, the the uh, the town uh, state. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they have some federal funds, although you'll have to talk to uh, the the finance folks over sure, there. Sure, sure. But, uh, but but because they treat kids uh, up to age 22, most of that money comes from cities and towns. And depending on uh, the program, I think some of it is actually reimbursed by the federal government. And they also uh, have a very vigorous and effective. Uh, uh, development office of which you're a big part uh, i am a big part it's uh it, you know proud to say uh yeah and uh but they that they really uh, do a great job um, um not only raising funds but 
using that position to educate uh, uh, the community, educate local companies, uh, and garner not only support, financial support, but also community support. You know, I, I love that you said that, and you said that earlier, um, that when when you're doing fundraising efforts or having something like the mic, which is attended regularly by repeat uh, people, repeat sponsors, repeat golfers, um, you have the opportunity to educate, educate the community, talk about autism, talk about um, ABA to people like me that just don't have any experience with it. And in doing so, um, you really, uh, as I said to you before, you speak to one person about this, and I guarantee you I'll speak to many more than 10, but that's generally the rule. You know, you speak to one and they're going to speak to 10. Um, so this effort of supporting NECC is more than just about the money. That said, that said, uh, I assume the money is going to research and development uh, in terms of programming? Uh, research, development, uh, they're aggressively looking at the effective uses of technology to help because autism is uh, a communication disorder as much as anything. Mm -hmm. So they, um, these kids are getting technology that they're able to have a voice. Right. Um, and my, I'll give you an example. My son is finally... Uh, beginning to communicate through some of these devices that um, that the uh, school has provided to to him, um, and it, it's not cheap. And it, you know what? And I'm telling you, I I didn't write the check for that. Um, it came from all of these wonderful sources and the um, traditional ways of fi uh, funding uh, that school. But they they have some very strong um, advocates, uh, especially in the state. For example, uh, uh, Governor Michael Dukakis. Yes is a, a, a enormous supporter of the New England Center for the Children. I'm glad to hear that. I'll be seeing him this Wednesday night. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, and if you ask him about NECC, yeah. um, he is passionate. Uh, what a good man he is. And uh, we actually, uh, the, see, I used the word we. Uh, yes. Even though I'm not New England Center for Children, I feel like I yes. am. Yeah. We, um, the school actually named their new aquatic center after... Uh, the governor. Oh, that's wonderful to know. That is that is that is wonderful to know. Um, I want to give people the opportunity. First of all, uh, Ryan, remind everybody on uh, one hundred two point nine WFPR. This is Chapters. My name is Jim Derrick. I'm sitting with Michael McKenna, and we're talking about the New England Center for Children in Southborough, Massachusetts, state of the art treatment for uh, individuals on the autism spectrum. Uh, Michael, Michael's son, Michael, is enjoying his sixteenth birthday as we speak today. It was just an irony that we planned this today. I'd like to give people an outlet for uh, information. So could you give us the website for NECC? Sure. It's it's uh, www.necc.org. NECC.org. And I would urge people, I know they have a Facebook page. I believe they're on Twitter as well. Yes. Um, I'd urge people to do what I did last night in preparing to talk to Mike. Uh, get on that website. There's a tremendous amount of resources. It talks about NECC. It talks about autism. It talks about their philosophy. It talks about the families. Um, it's, it's really, really an impressive uh, site. Um, and if someone's inclined to make a donation to the NECC, how would they do so? Is there an, uh, do they have the ability on the website? There, there is the ability to donate on the website, um, or what they could do is they could call the the main number mm -hmm. and uh, ask for development specifically. Ask for Joe Ziska, Z I S K A, Joe Ziska, at the New England Center for Children, and he is in uh, development. Okay, so that's Joe Ziska. I'll put a link. 
uh, up to NECC on my uh, podcast site, which is the sister um, station to WFPR. That's chaptersradio.com. And I will put a link on there uh, to NECC. I will also put Joe Ziska's uh, telephone uh, extension, and he is the development director at NECC. And Mike, I have to ask you this. Is the Mike golf tournament sold out every year? It is. It is sold out every it, it year. It is, you know. It, so I have to fight somebody for a spot. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, they, you know, they, I keep hearing, uh, you know, those, these tournaments are only good for three or four, maybe five years. We're going to be uh, next year. That's the 10th annual, and it keeps growing. Yeah, to the point where they're saying, "Do you want to open up a second golf course?" Ah, like, oh, that's I, I can't. I can't do that. It, it, they're tiring. <laughs> they're tiring. But my gosh, what a what a testament to to you, to your family, to Michael, uh, to what you've done and the way you pull this off. I, I, knowing you, I would expect nothing different than something first class and very, very well organized and um, importantly. Um, giving people the information that they need so they feel tied in. However, I'm wondering if there's an opportunity for to uh, to to go and visit as a lunch person or something like that. Can they or or just donate? Uh, they can donate through that. And does the mic have its own um, I know it's on Facebook. Does it have its own website? Yes. Uh, you can go to it's tied in with the school's main website. Uh, but you can access it by www.neckgolfthemike.com. Okay, so that's N-E-C-C. Golf. Golf. The Mike. The Mike. Dot org. That's right. Great. Great. Um, Mike, in um, in the few minutes we have left, um, first of all, I just want to thank you for coming in. Oh, thanks for the uh, uh, opportunity. I, I, I got to tell you, I am um, I am really blown away uh, by uh, your, your, your representation of uh, and your willingness to share with us, the audience, myself, uh, what it's like to go through this as a family and the joy of, of, of coming out in the other end, thanks to not only you and your wife's dedication, but also a place like NECC. We all need resources like, like this to help us through, uh, through things like this and to get Michael the, not only the care that he needs, but to get him, uh, educated so that he can, he can live, uh, up to his full potential. That's right. And and that's all we want. That's all we want. In any of our kids. That's right. In any of our kids. Um, any other final thoughts, Michael, before we go? Did we miss anything at all? No, I, I guess, well, first of all, thank you for allowing me to tell our story. And, you know, if it, if it uh, affects one person, if one person can just be better educated, then, then, um, then we've done our part. You know, we're not the medical practitioners, we're not the researchers, but we are the ambassadors. Right. And parents that are struggling out there, the autism community is getting stronger, it's getting better, uh, and um, we're blessed. I can tell you we're blessed in Massachusetts because the way we fund uh, the educational system in this state and the quality of educational outlets for autism is no is like nowhere else in the world. Yeah. Massachusetts, if you if you're going to have to deal with this, Massachusetts is where you want to be. Mike. Yeah, I, I thank you for saying that. And and before we do go, I just want to ask you, someone is sitting out there who is new to this. Yeah. Is completely new to this. What is the piece of advice that you would give them? The the first thing I would do is um it's important to make sure that 
the educational funding that will be available for your child um, is as secure as possible. It, guys, it's going to be a struggle because it costs so much. But go with your gut. If somebody's telling you uh, that they can handle it, and you and you have a uh, you have a, um, a different perspective on things, listen to that. Um, from a practical standpoint, what I would also do is, as young as possible, take the child to a neuropsychologist that understands autism and education funding. And uh, could I could I could I? You, say, you mentioned Raphael. Yeah, uh, Dr. Raphael Castro, Please. and he has... Uh, and where is Raphael? He's in Newton, okay. and I believe he also has an office now in Canton. Okay. And um, carries a lot of weight. He understands autism. The school systems know who he is. Mm-hmm. They're going to listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to listen to him, and he's been a lifesaver for us as well. Well, I, you know, it's so important to know that you're not alone. Uh, there are many people out there. Uh, here we are, one in forty-five of the statistics. Uh, so don't isolate. Get out. Don't isolate. Don't isolate. Right. Get out. There's plenty of Mike McKenna is out there, and heck, I bet I, I, I'm going to say right now, without his permission, I know Mike would talk with you. No question. Uh, um, like I said before, Mike, I just want to thank you. Um, it it is really a joy uh, becoming a friend of yours uh, uh, outside of the business community. Yeah. Um, Mike, I feel the same way, Jim. Um, I feel very, very blessed. Uh, he wears his heart in his sleeve. Uh, he he uh, he's involved in many causes, many many causes, and and this particular cause, NECC, is one that is now on my radar. I hope it. I hope it's on yours. Please visit uh, chaptersradio.com and find a link to NECC. Find a link to the Mike Golf Tournament. And finally, I'd like to say happy birthday to Michael Ryan McKenna, who is 16 today. Happy birthday to him. Michael, thank you again for being here. For Mike McKenna, my name is Jim Derrick saying thanks for listening to Chapters, and we'll see you next time.